0: On n'allume pas la radio aujourd'hui Si. listening to the Ackerman year yay (laughs) (laughs) it's happening I'm Simon Howell I am Kate Rennebaum let me tell you we've been waiting No, we haven't been waiting a long time to do this we've been threatening a long time (laughs) to each other to do this
1: But uh, we're here now we've managed to make it happen and I am excited we're staring down what a year a year of talking about Ackerman
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, for people who I guess the uninitiated or um, I mean, anyone who hasn't seen perhaps more than one Ackerman film, maybe we should talk about how we got ourselves into this mess. Should we say a little bit about who we are too first? Yeah, you're you're a lot more impressive sounding. So you go first. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I don't know about that. Um, Well, for people who don't know Simon and I from other places, uh, my name is Kate Rennebaum and I am a film scholar. Uh, I have a PhD in film studies from Harvard University and I am currently a postdoctoral fellow at Concordia University. So I'm back in Montreal and I write for different places like Cinemascope and publish on a wide variety of stuff. And I actually wrote my master's thesis on Ackerman many years ago, um, which is probably not a great piece of writing, but that is no reflection on Ackerman, only a reflection <laughs> of me in my 20s. Um, and uh, yeah, so then question, how did I get into Ackerman? So I was introduced to Ackerman by my favorite, all-time favorite film professor, Jerry White, who... Uh, At the time, was teaching at University of Alberta, where I was doing my undergraduate degree, and he taught an incredible life-changing class called Francophone Women Filmmakers. And we watched uh, filmmakers like Chantelle Ackerman, Claire Denis, Marguerite Duras, uh, oh, some Canadian filmmakers that I'm embarrassed, I'm forgetting their names, uh, and Claire -Claire Poirier. Anyway, a really incredible class, and uh, despite the high quality of everything we watched in that class, Ackerman still really stuck out to me. And I think the film that really bowled me over, he didn't, he actually didn't show us the famous film, which is, of course, uh, Jean Dielman. Um, what we watched instead was Meetings with Anna or Les Rendezvous d'Anna, and we will talk about that later on in the podcast, but uh, I it was like a semi-religious experience watching that film. I was like, I, I don't know what to make of this. I need to understand it better. There are so many ideas and so much feeling. And I just don't even really have the words to grapple with it, which, you know, is as good a reason to write a master's thesis about someone as any. And so a few years later, I ended up writing my master's thesis about it just to keep figuring out this question of what is Ackerman. Um, so, yeah, that's how I got into it. How about you, Simon?
0: I'm Simon Howell, erstwhile co, or, and who knows, perhaps one day future uh, co-host of the Lodgers, a Twin Peaks podcast with Kate. And uh, I don't know. I've I've done some writing about film, uh, but mostly I'm just an enthusiast, uh, and uh, that's especially true lately. As for how I got into Ackerman, uh, it happened late and a lot more recently than it happened for you, uh, Kate. I'm sure that I saw John Dealman when I was getting my undergrad in film studies at Concordia but I don't think I saw any more than that. And if anything, when I think back on my film studies experience, Ackerman's absence is sort of galling. I mean, obviously there's always gonna be holes, especially in an undergraduate program, but um, you were always talking about, or always happened to mention how much you were a a huge fan of hers. And of course you wrote pieces that I read and things like that, but um, it was always something I was gonna get get around to later, right, (laughs) Other other than the obvious. And uh, later turned out to be when um, when TIFF programmed an Ackerman retrospective. I guess that was Christmas of 2019, the Christmas before pre-COVID. That's my recollection anyway. And I also went to see Les Rendezvous d'Anna, strangely enough. And uh, I had a very similar reaction to the one you just described, where I was just really bowled over by the depth and uh, variety of feeling. Um, And just the sense that you are uh, dipping your index finger into a very deep pool. Uh, You don't know what's under there and you may you might even be a little afraid. Uh, So and that was and, you know, we had wrapped up the lodgers a while before that. And so I thought maybe if I master long enough. (laughs) will actually do this. It's
1: true. It did take a while. Simon started asking not too, too long, I think, after the lodgers wrapped up. I think we were both just so exhausted from that. Exhausted exuberate uh, like exhilarated, but also exhausted, and yeah. so it took a little bit of time, I think, before we were ready to come back and recommit and and attentive listeners will notice that the schedule for this podcast is on a slightly more relaxed pace than the uh, the lodger schedule operating yes. on
0: so just so people have an idea of what to expect, it's called uh the Ackerman year because we will be doing roughly twelve episodes roughly monthly. We reserve the right to make that as rough as we damn well please, uh, because there will not be a Patreon and there's not going to be any ads and no one is making a dime off this podcast ever, (laughs) Uh, except hopefully, you know, the the Ackerman Trust or whatever as people buy our films. (laughs) That's my hope.
1: Yes, that would be nice. So, yes, you can expect about an episode a month from us over roughly the next year, which, uh, you know, hopefully should mean that we can be very enthusiastic and have a lot of energy and not get uh, too burnt out on uh, the podcasting thing. And I think I think Ackerman, if anybody can sustain a year of deep uh, and wide-ranging interest, Ackerman is the person for it. I think part of the reason why we were both so excited to do this podcast, or maybe me particularly, was that um, when Ackerman passed, there's been a lot of renewed attention to her work. And I think one of the things that people have started to realize in that period is that most people who do know her work tend to know primarily the work from the 1970s, even though she has had this incredible career where she's directed almost, I think, more than 40 feature films. She's worked in uh, the art world, makes numerous installations. She is an author. Um, She has this like just massively huge body of work uh, that really, I think, could be better known by the public. I think uh, scholars have really been attending to her for a long time, and this work has been talked about in any number of ways, but I just think maybe people who are interested in film, but don't have time to do, you know, a film degree, maybe want to learn a little bit more about Ackerman. And so that's sort of our hope here is that we can kind of take you through the different decades of her work and the kind of huge number of themes that she touches on and the different kind of styles and forms and modes. Um, And there's so much to talk about here. So it's really going to be exciting. Simon is definitely going to have to like work to keep me to a normal podcast length for each episode. (laughs) because I will probably want to go long.
0: (laughs) Well, the I mean, I I literally have no idea how this podcast is going to to turn out unlike with the lodgers where it was like clear regimented schedule we kind of knew you know an hour of television to watch here it's like the form is the form and length and style of the podcast might change wildly from episode to episode which i'm actually really stoked for this is a really in every sense of the word it's an eclectic filmography really the only thing that that the vast majority of these movies have in common is i mean other than i'm sure some themes we can tease out um, is the fact that they're under-discussed. <laughs> or in some cases, uh woefully under distributed.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and I would say a solid percentage of them are really not available to see unless you have the kind of internet magic that, you know, increasingly is available to a lot of cinephiles. Um and I think what we're, what Simon and I are hoping is that we can sort of flag for people which films we'll be talking about in the next week, and people who want to follow along can find the films and 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 watch them. Um, and again, most of them are relatively available. Uh, but I think you know if you work, you'll be able to find the ones that are a little less available. And hopefully, even if you can't, you'll still get a lot of interest out of hearing us kind of uh, dissect them because this project of really working through all of Ackerman's material from beginning to end hasn't really been undertaken by many people. Um, there there are kind of a handful handful of books that talk about her work from beginning to end but um i believe even most of those were written before she passed away so i don't believe they deal with the the very last set of films she produced so um yeah it'll be a rich and exciting topic and i can also tell you that the uh the just the amount of time that it took to sit down and organize all of her films into groupings according to kind of loose chronology and themes took me many hours. I mean, it is not an easy task to find a kind of path through these films that is that is a little more kind of um, thematically oriented rather than just you know the films that she made in chronological order.
0: We're trying to hopefully kind of change it up a little bit from that too. So, since we are here doing an Ackerman podcast and this is episode zero. Um, as sort of a teaser and a way in, in a few different ways, uh, we are going to talk about her very first film. It's called Saut Vie, or literally blow up my town, uh, Mm -hmm. from 1968, Kate, do you want to set the scene for how we get to Soap Mavie a bit?
1: Uh, Sure. Yeah, I can do the kind of early biographical material for Ackerman. Um, Maybe I should just say a little bit, a couple of sentences, too, that sort of sketch who she is a little more broadly, just for people who are not familiar with her. I mean, don't want to flatter ourselves too much, but maybe some people have come to this knowing Simon and I from The Lodgers, but really don't know Ackerman at all. And so maybe it's a nice idea to to explain who she is a little bit. So uh, Chantal Ackerman, she was born in 1950 in Brussels in Belgium. And uh, oh, man, this is I'm just realizing in live time that it's an impossible task to summarize Ackerman's career. <laughs> uh, she she as I said, she's made over 40 feature films. Um, she is a kind of autodidact. She was self-taught and I can talk about that a little bit more, but she really has kind of cut her own path through uh, the history of the cinema starting in the late 1960s when she first started working. She was early on associated with feminist filmmaking, primarily because of her uh, main feature, her most well-known feature film, uh, Jean Dielman. And you'd think, Simon, after studying her for so long, I would know that whole subtitle off the top of my head, but (laughs) I don't. This is her most famous film. Um, It's very associated with kind of feminist themes. However, her work really broadly kind of covers like concerns of the avant-garde. Sort of different nationalist cinemas, um, the questions of sort of uh, Jewish uh, history, religion, uh, tradition, the Holocaust. Um, She's also worked in things like musicals and kind of like comedic farce and sort of uh, Hollywood aping sort of films. Um, And I'm sure I'm leaving out another huge section of the various things she's worked in, but it's fine. Romantic comedies. Romantic comedies. Exactly. Another there. Um, She's sort of associated with a kind of high modernist auteur status. Um, But again, we'll have time to to dig into all of this later, but just to say she really is considered one of the most important filmmakers of the last um, many decades. Uh, And, and, all the more so for actually being maybe the prom the most prominent woman who gets mentioned in discussions of what are otherwise often broadly white male film uh, auteurs like film filmmakers, and so uh, Ackerman really has a kind of like distinguishing um, uh, feature for that. I mean, it's really she deserves all the respect in the world, and we're going to talk more about how incredible she is. But that's the broad sketch. Um, the sketch for where we are at right when she's starting out is that. Um, Yeah, she was 18 years old when she made Somme-V. She had dropped out of high school at 17. She briefly enrolled in uh, the uh, Belgian film school called INSAS, I believe, um, lasted about three months before she decided she had no patience for this sort of like stodgy <laughs> theoretical approach that they were doing, left. Um, and I think she had a little bit of schooling somewhere else in Paris, uh, but really was self-taught. She really just entirely worked on her own, did what she wanted to do. She was very inspired by Jean-Luc Godard's film, Pierre Lefou, um, which for people who haven't seen it is this sort of very kind of energetic, farcical Politically anarchic uh, Film from the French New Wave And this movie, she's always claimed This movie sort of taught her what film could be And it inspired her to want to be a filmmaker And so, after she dropped out of school And done all this stuff, she raised money For her first feature by Selling shares on the Diamond Exchange in Antwerp uh, So she offered people The right to be a producer in her film uh, On the Diamond Exchange Which now I will always think of um, Not good time, but um, Uncut
0: gem Uncut
1: Gems. I will always think of Uncut Gems now in relation to Ackerman's early film, but um, yeah. So she raised some money. She worked at a clerical job, and then she set out with a handful of friends to make this uh, short film. And just as a little more back, background, the year was 1968. Which, uh, for people who don't know this already, 1968 was, of course, the uh, the year of the kind of revolutionary uprisings in. Paris gets the most attention, but really around the world, um, Mexico, Japan, uh, the, 1968 is sort of considered the high point of the kind of revolutionary fervor of that decade. You know, Ackerman absolutely would have been aware of that. Her work is sort of attached to the kind of counterculture, even in a slightly weird way. We can dig into that a little bit more mm-hmm. later. But um, But that is the setting for this film. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, Simon, I'm actually genuinely interested to hear what your reactions were to this film, because I'd seen it years ago in kind of film studies. So it's it's I've just remember it quite well. But what did you how did you find it?
0: Well, I mean, despite that eloquent, but perhaps daunting introduction. (laughs) I mean, if I had to explain this movie to a stranger, I would just say it's funny it's a funny movie <laughs> like if i this I'm, maybe that sounds too simple but the way i i was just thinking of it I, I watched it one more time right before we went to record and i was thinking if i for some reason i was gonna like program a set of shorts to just for like goofy things for my roommates and i to watch so would be on my short list of things to potentially include because i just think it's it's particular form of chaotic energy like chaotic comic energy it it hasn't aged at all that's very true it feels very like au courant absolutely i'm not even just saying that because of the pandemic and the uh i mean we should we should perhaps explain the 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 concept of this short a little bit which is a young chantelle ackerman starring in her own short uh heads up to her adorable little belgian flat (laughs) um where there's a strumpf on the back of the front door. That's that's French for Smurf if you weren't aware. <laughs> and uh just proceeds to slowly uh for a while you could say clean, but clearly clearly it's more of a destructive than a uh than a uh, sanitizing process. And of course that just it it amps up and amps up in these uh sort of Chuck Jones-ish ways almost. <laughs> clearly, I mean I know that there's been some direct spoken influence of like Chaplin and stuff like that I think often when you I mean we've we've both seen student films Kate and like this is not technically a student film but it's sort of essentially the closest thing we'll get to an Ackerman student film right this I feel like avoids many of the pitfalls of young people's films because it doesn't feel at all self-serious um, her performance is brave in how a sort of uh, anarchic and sometimes just like her whistling is quite annoying. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's be upfront about that. And it's like proudly annoying. Not even proud, just like you get a sense of like total unself consciousness and yet some amount of control. But the main thing I want people to know is that it's funny and it's goofy.
1: Ah, this film, it is really funny. I mean, this is the thing. I think Ackerman. Has throughout her career played a kind of comic figure in her own work, and as we'll see, I think the next time we we record a podcast or maybe the time after, she's also played slightly more serious figures. But she, as she herself has described, she tends when she performs in her own work, she things tend to go awry. They tend to go a little off. They tend to become chaplain-esque. esque. There is this kind of very overt quality to the film where it's it's funny and you're sort of laughing at her because as she first, as Simon says, she starts cleaning, but then everything she cleans, she's doing it with such a kind of like lack of understanding of what, what cleaning actually involves or with sort of like an unnecessary amount of energy attached to it that all she does is create more mess so she tries to mop her floors but she accidentally knocks all of her cleaning stuff onto the floor and then she just pours water onto the cleaning stuff and then she's just sort of batting it around with a mop yeah. um, and then she eventually tries to uh, polish her shoes and that just turns into her like really vigorously polishing first her socks and then her legs and like her all of her pants get covered in shoe black and so it's sort of this kind of thing of like the, the anarchic Uh, energy sort of boiling over and and, you know the way people have talked about it and we should come back to the ending of the film because I think the ending of the film maybe recasts this question of it as just a sort of light fun film but um, you know the idea of the kind of like the anarchic quality and the chaotic quality you know people have talked about it as already Ackerman having some very clear ideas about how she herself as an artist, or maybe as a person, felt in response to the kinds of structures of the previous generation, particularly in relation to women and expectations around women, right? The idea that women have some kind of natural relationship to housekeeping, to cleaning, Mm. to the domestic space and domestic orders that women are the kind of inherent um, inheritors of these spaces. Ackerman just sort of completely turns it on its head in the funniest possible way, which is to play a kind of character who, despite something like seemingly good intentions seems to have no capacity for this, even as she kind of like wants to do it. That's one thread of the film. And then the other thread of the film is what kind of culminates towards the ending, which I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about that. Simon.
0: I read a couple of things about Soap My V and, a, a and some, you know, at least one of them was after her passing. And I've seen people try to get some import out of sort of, sort of the, the fatal ending of this short, but I don't know. To me, it doesn't really shake the essential vibe, for lack of a better term, of the movie Hmm. um, too much, at least not for me.
1: Well, that's interesting because I had a slightly different reaction to it and and just to fill people in. So while... Um, the character that Ackerman plays is doing this insane cleaning in the apartment. And by the way, the apartment is, is entirely reduced to just a kitchen. That's really all we ever see. You don't see more than that. It's this like tiny little space. Um, While she's doing this sort of strange cleaning, she also is quite consistently and purposefully taping up all of the doors and the um, window frames in the apartment. And you don't, at first you don't really know why. And then as it kind of rates as a sort of fever pitch in the latter minutes of the film, she, like she sort of looks at herself in the mirror and as Simon alluded to the voiceover, Ackerman herself is doing a voiceover that's not synced. Um, and what it, it's hard to explain. I mean, I actually think the voiceover is quite eerie and strange. She's kind of making sounds that are very like childlike like it's a lot of kind of (laughs) like singing whistling saying words in this very like playful repetitive way and it kind of only just sort of reflects on what's happening in a kind of effective way it doesn't really ever have a kind of literal connection to what you see in the image Um, but it creates this very weird tension in what you're watching anyway so um as it sort of builds to this kind of strange pitch at the end she sees herself in a mirror she starts putting like mayonnaise and lotion all over herself and again as Simon says in this very kind of funny way that as she starts to look at herself in the mirror there's a very kind of like clear sense of almost like sadness or an odd confrontation and um and then it it ends with her uh lighting her stove her gas stove Lighting a piece of paper on fire uh, and then turning the stove off and lying down on the stove. And it, it turns to a freeze frame and, once, and then it goes to black and then you hear this explosion. So hence the title, Blow Up My Town. Um, and so it's, of course, suicide at the end. And for people who don't know, Ackerman died by suicide. Uh, and so I, going back to the film now with that knowledge... It's not that it changes the nature of the film. It it does create for me a bit of a a pall over it. It it creates a kind of sadness and association with it because, you know, clearly these, this, this struggle was there for her right from the beginning. She struggled with, um, depression for most of her life and she often would treat that in a very kind of comic light way and there's a number of her films that deal with this question of depression through the kind of comic register the burlesque register and so we'll have cause to talk about that later but it's fascinating to realize that at 17 and 18 she was already dealing with these questions of depression comedy confinement structure order chaos which are going to become like defining themes for the rest of her career
0: and i mean not only that but sort of the intersection of depression and comedy is an yeah. immense subject right now in the culture. Indeed.
1: I mean, I think this is the thing with her though. And we'll, we'll see this as we go forward. I, I, I would say there's almost, there's very little in her work that hasn't remained relevant or, or hasn't aged well. Um, I, 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 as we'll go forward who knows, maybe we'll find some things where we're sort of like, oh, I don't know, maybe this isn't so interesting, but most of her stuff mm-hmm. is still so relevant. It's still so just contemporary and and fascinating to this day. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I don't think either of us can promise dear listener going forward that the, this survey of her work will be uniformly positive in all respects at all times. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Um but at the same time I don't think we're we're really considering this like a critical uh a critical examination or anything like that. Uh it's more just a, an excuse to talk about this stuff in great detail uh with ourselves and some other cool people who you'll get to hear about soon enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, Ackerman's career, uh, as you guys will hear, has she has intersected with some of the most important artists, thinkers, other filmmakers, um, authors of the 20th century. And I, I don't really, th- I personally don't think it's an exaggeration to uh, characterize Ackerman as something like a philosopher. I think Ackerman wrote really beautifully. The ideas that she is dealing with are at such a high level, and she is thinking about them in such an idiosyncratic and remarkable way. And she's really engaging with like philosophers. She reads philosophy. She writes about this stuff. You you cannot help but learn things as you learn about Ackerman. I I remember thinking in my undergraduate degree and my master's as I set out to watch all of her films, the project of watching Ackerman's films is a film education in and of itself. And I remember really um, being quite touched by people reaching out to us. Over the uh, when we were doing The Lodgers saying that they were learning so much about film um, listening to us talk about Twin Peaks. And so I'm really hoping that people feel that they can have that kind of experience again with this because I think there is so much to learn about the history of, of art in the latter half of the 20th century, thought, history, et cetera, through learning about Ackerman's films.
0: Absolutely. And I expect to be learning quite a lot of stuff right along with the listener. At this moment, as we sit down to record... I'm really excited about this uh this whole thing we should we should say quickly, and we should we're gonna have to make a habit out of this if you want to watch sotmavi, it's pretty easy to find if you uh, as of this moment, if you have uh, the Criterion channel in at least North America, there's a whole Ackerman collection on there. there is is on there. there's also a little featurette of her talking about sotmavi many years later I think two thousand and nine it's also on YouTube and in other places I think Kate, I don't think I'm being heretical when I say if you can only see Sotma V in slightly suboptimal video quality, that's fine. <laughs>
1: That I think with that one it is fine, you know. I think it was shot on I assume sixteen, and and the, the copies of it that are available through Criterion are quite nice. But it, it the film is more about the kind of ideas and the performance and the and yeah. the filmmaking, which and the filmmaking itself, like the kind of editing and the pace and the rhythm, really does take from um, the kind of early French New Wave, like this kind of like joyful exuberance. It's really it, it really does remind you of that as you're watching it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I think that anyone who anyone whose impression of Chantal Ackerman. Primarily, which and I think this is probably true of many people, is of looking at the Criterion cover art to Jean Dielman <laughs> and sort of are expecting prim mise en scène or like you know exquisite framing or whatever. Uh, might be surprised at the style of this film.
1: Agreed, and I and I should say too, just as as uh, more to entice people to keep coming back with this. Um, I do absolutely agree that I think there is a perception out there of Ackerman as a really dry, really difficult, really challenging filmmaker. And the funny thing is, while I guess you could say that that is is earned, and 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 maybe some of her films do speak to that. I show Jean Dielman to students whenever I can, and students love it like the idea that Ackerman's films are difficult or or not welcoming is I just don't think is true I think I think people see them and even the most kind of high modernist difficult stuff people are blown away by and then you know Ackerman's the next the next decades of her work she really moves into kind of much more um at the time it was called sort of visual pleasure kinds of cinema like she really engages with Hollywood trope she engages with color sound music dance um just really enjoyment in every sense of the term. The idea that Ackerman cinema is not an enjoyable cinema is a really true mischaracterization. So there are fun things coming down the pipeline is what I mean to say yeah
0: and not not just like fun for us, but fun for you, the viewer. It'll be fun for us no matter what. Before we wrap this up, which we should do. Um, as our teaser episode that is getting suspiciously close to real episodes. Oh led. no! Oh no! I uh, see. I, I did it again. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. This is I, exactly I. I conspired to have this happen anyway. Um, we should perhaps, um, because we kind of know what's in the pipeline for us over the next couple of weeks. Maybe we should just throw out some titles that people should perhaps watch in preparation. Things that we are, are, we know are going to be in there, and as we go, we can perhaps throw some others in. So we will, in fact, be tackling Jean Dealman right away in our first real whatever you want to call it but the next episode i believe we're also planning to talk about La that case or the 15 over 8 however you'd like to call that and uh hotel monterey also in the mix for that week should we should we leave it there for now and figure out what else is, is getting slotted in?
1: Yeah, it's true. We, we are still in the process of of moving things around. And there are a lot of different short films that may or may not appear next week. So we'll see. But the big ones are going to be Jean Dielman, uh, uh, The 15 Over 8, and uh, Hotel Monterey. And we'll see which other ones we may or may not add in.
0: Yeah. Following episode, whenever that happens, I think we have a guest. We're pretty stoked about that. Uh, we're going to be talking about Je tue We're going to be talking about Portrait of a Young Girl at the End of the 1960s uh and we're going to be talking about Jefeny Flew uh I'm uh, I'm hungry. I'm cold.
1: Hmm. Yes. Um. Oh man, so many good things coming. So yeah. uh, and again, should we give our uh, Twitter handles and those kinds of things too? If people are you
0: even? Us? Are you still on Twitter?
1: I am. Oh, I suppose you're not anymore. Hey. Um. No, I, no. I am on Twitter. I don't do much with it except I kind of you know surveil it from the dark corner. Uh, I I watch what other people are doing. I don't post a lot, but um, I'm very glad to be on it for this kind of purpose for the podcast because I love hearing from people and I love um, being able to share the podcast on Twitter. So if you want to find me there, uh, my handle is cinnamon, uh, C-I-N-E-M-E-N-T. Uh, I think that's probably the best place to find me.
0: I'll start a Twitter for the pod just for fun. Sure. Okay. Uh, it'll screw it. I mean, what's the worst that could happen?
1: Yeah, who knows? Twitter is not always the funnest place to be these days, but um, but there's still some love. There's lovely people on there and, uh, and lovely chat. So hopefully that's where this podcast will land is in that nice part of Twitter.
0: Editor's note. I did, in fact, end up making a Twitter for the pod. It's at AckermanPod, A-K-E-R-M-A-N-P-O-D, Pod.
1: Okay, I, th- I don't know. I think that's it. Do we have any other housekeeping we have to do at the end here?
0: I'm considering this episode zero. We will start properly uh, next, next episode, not next week, probably. Um, and then uh, I don't know exactly what the interval will be, but I can tell you that you can expect uh, roughly monthly episodes. There will be guests. Uh, we are going to cover as much stuff as we can, and uh, hopefully everyone will, uh, everyone, everyone will think this was a worthwhile project. I mean, I guess the last thing I should actually say is I sort of did a cursory look around to see if anyone had tried anything like this. Um, I sure hope no one has, because my rudimentary Googling told me, no, no one has. So uh, <laughs> hopefully I'm not stepping on anyone's toes here. But um, really, the goal here is just to have a decent overview of her work that will hold up reasonably well over time uh and that will stay accessible and free to everyone Mm -hmm. uh and hopefully serve as a a decent gateway into her work and her in general uh in perpetuity that's the goal
1: Yes, absolutely. And for those people who uh, know Simon and I from The Lodgers and from David Lynch world and Twin Peaks, um, welcome. I really, I really genuinely hope uh, some of you are, en- are interested and engaged and want to kind of check out Ackerman's work because I think while they don't necessarily have that much formally in common, I think there is some kind of fascinating ideas uh, that'll, that'll lend themselves to connections between the two filmmakers. So welcome. Join us. Come to the filmic dark side.
0: <laughs> we are <a> legion. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's enough out of us. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll we'll be back with our first proper episode.
1: Yay. (laughs) Bye-bye.